A um, couple things I just want to say real quick. Uh, one is um, next week, I know we haven't really had this mentality anymore of reaching out to people and inviting them to things, but um, I think next week would be a really good opportunity to invite a neighbor, a coworker, a friend to come to church. It's probably likely they haven't been to church in a very long time, and to be outside kind of mitigates some of the issues that people are having right now with coming into a building, and things are going great, and so we just would love to have a lot of guests next week. Um, other people ask me, do we have to pay for the food truck afterwards? We're buying all the food. We're just going to serve you out of the food truck, and you can go up and pick what you want. And we're kind of hoping that there's extras for anyone at the splash pad or anybody who's around the area to come on over and get some free food on the church. So invite your friends and tell them you get free food afterwards, and it's going to be awesome. And send them the link to the food truck if you want. Um, I think it would be really great. So that's one thing. The second thing I wanted to mention and this is just in full transparency. I just want to make sure that we're always communicating with you guys and telling you exactly where we're at as a church. And um, it's one of our values uh, to make sure that when it comes to finances, we're as open-handed as possible, we're as transparent as possible, we communicate where we're at, we, we tell you guys where things are at, where anybody can ask any question, we're pretty wide open with what we do with our finances. We love to invest in the community. We love being the kind of church that's incredibly generous um, and I want to let you know that, that over the last sort of five, six months, we've had kind of a downturn in our finances. Now, things are awesome. We're fine. We're going to make it through this year, no problem. But we're in the process of budgeting for next year. And there's a couple things that we would really love to do, some for our employees, uh, some for some other situations where we're adding, for instance, a lot of money to our children's ministry budget, because now we have a children's a person who's going to be doing a lot more with our kids. So there's a couple of places we'd love to expand our budget, and right now, the way things are at, we feel like that might not be as easy as we want it to be. Um, and so I'm just being as transparent as possible. Our finances have gone down about $5,000 a month over the last five or six months. Part of that's because of COVID. Part of that's because people have stopped their regular giving. Some people haven't come back yet, and they haven't been giving. And so I'm just letting you guys know that because... If you're in a position where uh, you feel like you want to expand what you give or that you want to continue to start to give again, uh, that's something that I want to make sure that you understand. As we plan for next year, we're going to make sure that we always spend what comes in, and we believe God's going to give us what we need, uh, but I want to make sure that I'm as clear as possible about where we're at as a church. We're going to make our budget this year. Things are going to be great, but as we plan for next year, it would be great if you know, we were as clear about that as possible. So that's just something I wanted to share with you as your pastor. Um, if things change or things are different, I will make sure to explain that to you as well. So uh, let me get today into our, <laughs> you're like, stop talking about money. Okay, great. Um, let me get today into our passage in Exodus and remind you where we are because last week we had Cindy and Corey Jones here who were speaking about their church plant in White Bear, um, which we are very excited about kind of helping them and doing everything we can for them. Yeah, that's right. I like it. Um, and uh, so I want to kind of just remind you where we're at. Moses is, is, uh, has been living in the desert, sort of away from Egypt for 40 years. Uh, during that time, he was able to settle down and start a family, and he's uh, just shepherding out in the wilderness. And one day, he comes across this bush that is burning and doesn't stop burning. And so he goes over to check it out. And uh, so he's having a conversation with the bush. That's where we pick up the story today. And the bush has basically said, hey, take your shoes off, understand who I am, I'm God, I have seen and I have felt the pain of my people who are in Egypt, in slavery, and I'm going to do something about it. And so the conversation so far has been God basically explaining to Moses who he is, 
and promising to be there for the people that he loves, okay? And then today, Moses is going to ask some pretty uh, standard, I guess, some pretty, uh, some questions that are just about details, trying to figure out exactly what God is doing. Up to this point, God has explained to him that he's going to do something for his people, and he's told Moses his name, and he's promised to be with him. So his name, he said, I am I am, that is my name, I am, and I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we talked about this two weeks ago, that God is both this huge God that created everything, but also this personal God who has relationship with, with people. And so here we pick it up, Exodus 3, verse 16. He says, go. Now, up until this point, he just said he was going to do something. Now Moses is starting to figure out he's part of this plan. And I kind of feel like Moses might be like, hey, hold on a minute. I liked your plan up until now. If you can light a bush on fire and you can keep it on fire, maybe, just maybe, um, you just do that. Why don't you just do that? Go and light a bush on fire and then Pharaoh will listen to you. Then I don't, what do I have to do to be involved in this? I don't, you don't need me. I'm just a shepherd out in the wilderness trying to mind my own business. I'm not sure why you need me to go. Uh, and this is what God says. Assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there it is again, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of the misery of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And apparently, milk and honey is a good thing. It means the land is, is fertile and amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And there's two things that we pick up here. One is the home of the Israelites is not... Egypt. They are not supposed to stay in Egypt. They've been called to go somewhere else, and God has promised to give them a place. And this place is better than Egypt. Now, that was a really hard thing to think about during that day. Egypt was the superpower. They had the most amount of education, the most amount of commerce, the most amount of pretty much everything, the most amount of military might. They were basically the ruler of the known world in that time and that place and to say, I'm going to bring you out of this and take you to a place where all of these other people exist and put you in a place that is incredibly beautiful and fruitful and is going to take care of you and is going to be amazing, it's going to be better than Egypt, was probably very hard for them to wrap their mind around. What could be better than Egypt? Even being a slave in Egypt was probably a step up from being in other places in the world at that time where you were, you know, potentially in more risk than you were in Egypt. He says, the elders will listen to you, which is a question I'm sure that Moses began to think about immediately, knowing who the elders of Israel probably were. He's like, they'll never listen to me. And God answers the question before he asks it. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders will go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord. So God literally answers the question before Moses asks it. He, he sees what his objection is going to be and answers the question and then calls Moses to go out and start the first Christian music festival. It's creation or cornerstone or in the Northeast we had one called Inside Out Soul Festival. There was one here for a while up north. Sunshine, yeah. We're going to go out and have a festival in the wilderness. We're going to go camp and enjoy ourselves, and listen to some, some 90s Christian rock. 
Yes, there's going to be five stages, and one of those is going to be the hardcore stage, and I'm there the whole week. Uh, Yes, I I know I've been in youth groups for uh, many, many, many years as a youth pastor, and what was the one thing that we always had to do every year? Go on a camping trip, right? We're going to take the Israelites camping. This is going to be great. Now, I don't think that Moses, I mean, of all the objections that he's about to come out here, I probably would have started with, there's no way I want to take the uh, Israelites out on a camping trip because I know what that entails. <laughs> so he says, we're going to take a three-day journey and offer sacrifices to the Lord. And Moses immediately knows that the king of Egypt's not going to go for that. That's not going to be a thing. God also confirms that. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. And what God basically says to Moses here is, you're right. You are not qualified to do what I'm asking you to do, and it will be my mighty hand that will take the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. Not yours. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be eloquent or qualified. In fact, I'm going to be the one that does this, and it's going to be my power that releases these people from their suffering. And you have to ask the question, why is God using Moses, and why is he doing it this way? And the answer, <coughs> excuse me, Ben, need my water there. Um, the answer is comes later in the story because as the Israelites are finally going into the Promised Land forty years later, do you know what the people are still saying about them? That they serve the God that delivered them from the hand of Egypt and the hand of slavery into the Promised Land that they were called into all through the Old Testament. This God becomes known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that delivers his people from Egypt. It could have never been Abraham's hand uh, or Moses' hand that delivered them. It could have only been God's because God's reputation became the God who delivers people out of sleep. (coughs) Excuse me, guys. (coughs) Sorry. We're having all kinds of problems today. We're an imperfect church for imperfect people. Um, and God's reputation came out of him delivering these people from slavery, and it wasn't because of Moses. Now, I know this is kind of an abstract way of thinking about this, but, uh, you know, I'm a big K-Kingdom people person, and I think we are as a church as well. I love the idea that there are other expressions of faith going on all over the Twin Cities today that are calling people into relationship with Jesus there are churches out there that you, you might have a feeling of, you know, I can't stand that church, or what they do is wrong, or this is a bad thing, or that's a bad thing, or this is good, or that's good, and we make judgments about other churches. And the way that I look at it is if something is going on for the kingdom, for me, that's a, that's a net positive for the kingdom. Now, is, is every church out there perfect? No, definitely not. We are not perfect. We, we just throw that out there from day one. When you walk in here, we're going to tell you, hey, we're going to let you down. Things aren't going to be exactly always right the whole time. But if you, if you stick around here, you're going to see that you fit because you're not perfect, and we fit because we're not perfect, and this church is not perfect. But, you know, some of the churches I have the most amount of respect for, and it's something that I think is really hard to do, is some of the churches that are known for what they do and not for who is their pastor. Okay? There are churches out there where when we say their name, we don't care who leads that church. In fact, we don't even know who leads that church. We know what they do in the community. We know who they are because of what they do. And I think in this situation, what God is asking Moses to do is to put his power on display for the world to see 
and for him to not be the one that takes the credit at all. That the name Moses will go away much quicker than the uh, identity that God is putting on display for the entire world to see. And on the one hand, when God uses us to do things that are way beyond what we could ever do, it takes the pressure off because we know it's not on us or about us to do something God has called us to do. It doesn't matter if I have the qualifications or the skills or the, you know, the, the gifts to be able to pull something off. If God's the one that does it, it takes the pressure off of me to just say, yes, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, and to just follow where he's leading me. But on the other hand, right, it does take a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith for us to say yes to Jesus and yes to Jesus and yes to Jesus over and over and over again. And we get in our own way and we trip ourselves up and we... We, we lack the obedience that comes along with the faith that God can do something very often in our own lives. So what does God need from us when he's calling us to do something? He needs our obedience working through faith. This is to make God's name great, we need to be obedient through faith. When he calls us to do something, we say yes to the thing that's right in front of us and the next thing that's in front of us and the next thing that's in front of us, being obedient to what he has called us to do. And God starts off in small and works our way towards things that are big. If you haven't seen the power of God at work in your own life and you wonder about why, whether he could use you, you need to start very small and be obedient in very small ways to find yourself down the road being obedient in very large ways. That's what it looks like. And he's about to put Moses through this, the paces here. He's about to show him what he is capable of and what he wants to do. So look what he says. He says, I'll stretch out my hand, not your hand, not what you can do. I'll do it. I'll be the one to do it. I'll be the one that brings the power to it. I'll be the one that, that drives this whole thing. I need your obedience through faith. <clears throat> he says, I'll strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And going is, uh, this is going to be sustained obedience just watch me work is essentially what God is saying. If you are willing to be obedient over time in a sustained way, I can do it. My hand can do it. He said, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards you so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor, every woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians and we serve a God of justice who's going to let the slaves walk out with the loot. That's essentially what's going on here. He's going to bless his people as they leave. He's going to bless the work that they've been doing, and he's going to give them what they are owed. This is a, a moment of justice for God to be able to bless his people as they go. He says, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me or say the Lord did not appear to you? And what is Moses actually being able to talk about here with God is essentially something I think we all deal with if God asks us to do something and be obedient, we think to ourselves, what if I look stupid to everyone else? What if I say yes to God and it puts me in a position where I look stupid in front of everyone else? What if I say yes to God and he doesn't follow through with his end of the bargain? What if I say yes, I put myself out there, I share my faith with somebody, I do something that puts me out there and then I'm the one left who looks stupid? I think all of us feel this tension. Everybody feels this tension. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're able to share your faith with somebody, uh, but like you're putting yourself out there and you're wondering what God is going to do with what, you're, with what you're giving in that moment. You're being obedient to that thing, but you're also thinking, am I going to look stupid? Am I going to look like a weirdo? 
Am I going to do things differently here and then I'm going to be singled out because of it? You know, and I think sometimes that is a really common thing that we ask God, hey, am I going to be left holding the bag here? But then the Lord said to him, okay, what's in your hand? I told you what my hand is capable of. My hand is capable of freeing these people from, uh, from slavery and leading them out. Let's talk about what's in your hand. What is in your hand? And he says, a staff, he replied. Now, I think it's kind of like uh, a staff. <laughs> like, I think his answer was probably more like, that's kind of a weird question, God. You know I'm a shepherd. I carry a staff. It's part of who I am. It's part of my identity. It's part of my job, right? Of course I'm holding a staff, right? So I always think of it like a junior high boy answering the question, what's in your hand? Oh, staff, right? Then the Lord said to him, then the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Sorry, that's a bad reference. Just You can go Google that one later. Did that for some people, yeah. Then he threw it on the ground. Um, Google, Google it later. Um, so Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. And when do we see God's power active in this moment? When Moses does what God says, when he's obedient to what God asked him to do. Now, he hasn't asked them to go and stand in front of the king of, of Egypt and to declare that his people will be free. He hasn't asked them to turn water into blood. He hasn't asked them to part seas yet. He asked them just to take a staff in his hand and throw it down. The minute he said yes, the minute his obedience comes into play, God's power is shown through his obedience. And I want you to know, if there was one thing that I would say you know, marks this entire Uh, this entire sermon, this entire passage, everything that's going on here between Moses and God is that God's power flows through humble, obedient, unqualified people. If you find yourself being an unqualified person, an obedient person, and a humble person, watch out because God's power will flow through you like nothing else. The minute you are obedient to what God is calling you to do is the minute God's power can be seen through you. And this is a theme that goes all the way through Scripture. I mean, Paul, later on, will say, you know, it, you know, it was my weakness that God was made strong. It was in all the places that I failed where God's strength and power was shown through my, through my ministry here. Jesus' most powerful moment is a moment where he allows death to defeat him and is raised from the dead, right? It, if you find yourself saying, God can't use me, or you, know, you find yourself in a situation saying, my sin is too great, he never would want to use me. Then I would ask the question, are you a murderer? Because Moses is. You know, you say, I don't, I'm not qualified. We're going to see in a minute that Moses has all kinds of reasons why he doesn't qualify to stand up in front of people and eloquently demand that the, the Israelites be let, let go. And God's like, that's great. You're unqualified. That's perfect. The thing that Moses has here is obedience. He did what God asked him to do. And he will continue to do what God asked him to do each and every step of the way. And if you find yourself being you know, having humility and feeling unqualified, you're in the perfect place because it's in those moments where God says, great, I have you exactly where I want you. Now you're going to rely on me. You're going to pray to me. You're going to ask me, and I'm going to be the one that moves through you and gives you what I'm calling you to do. And of course, Moses throws this thing on the ground, and it becomes a snake, and I'm sure he immediately jumped and screamed like a little girl. Like, I have a friend who just told me this story. He said uh, he went out his back, back door, and there was a, an animal in, he had, like, some shelves out behind his house, and there was an animal moving around in the shelf, and he turned on his, 
his phone and started recording the encounter, and this possum jumped out at him, and he said, he said, I shrieked like a little girl, I screamed and ran, and he's like, and then I deleted the video. <laughs> like, can you imagine what this looked like? Now, the way that this is translated, we translate it snake, but most commentators actually say that this was probably more like the way that it was originally written, like a cobra, like a dangerous, venomous, scary, awful snake to be around. Something you don't want to mess with. Somebody who lived out in the wilderness would know stay away from that snake. Not a common snake, not a little gardener, garden snake, like just like something intense and scary and huge. And because of Moses' obedience, God is showing him what he's capable of. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand. Again, God's hand is the one that's able to do the work. And now he's training Moses how to use his hand by being obedient. He, how to focus God's power through himself by being obedient. And he says, then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail to which I would be like, like a hundred yards away at that moment. I would be very far away, not close to the snake at all, very scared by it. Uh, so Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. God is showing him, if you're obedient in the things that I ask you to do, I'll be the one that comes through. I'll be the one that, that, that shows my power to the world. All you have to do is say yes and do what I'm asking you to do. And this was scary because he's really literally reaching out to something that could, could potentially kill him. God is saying to him, your hand is barely able to deal with the tail of a snake, and my hand will conquer the most powerful nation in the known world. All you have to do is be obedient. It's not on you. It's not your hand. It's mine. This, which I think is funny, this, said the Lord. I just want to cut it off right there. This, points at it, this, this obedience, this is what I'm looking for. What you just did, that's what I'm looking for. Is so that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak and he took it out and the skin was leprous and it become as white as snow. Now leprosy was the, like, the death sentence in that day and age. There was no, they didn't know what to do about it. They pretty much just, basically separated you from the community, kept you away from everybody else so that nobody else could catch it from you, and they didn't treat you because they didn't know how to do anything uh, about it. So you were basically uh, ostracized from community, and you had a death sentence, and you basically were like separated from everything that you loved and knew. You know, I, I look at this and I think about the fear that uh, a lot of us had maybe a year ago if a loved one went into the hospital and we knew we weren't able to go to the hospital to be with them. We didn't know what was going to happen. I had a friend that went into the hospital. I didn't even know he was sick. He was gone, and he was there for like three weeks. I was getting updates through another person that said that he was doing worse and worse and worse. That, that feeling is what a leper felt like. I'm separated from my family instantly. I'm put out from the community, and it's a death sentence. I'm just going to keep getting worse. And no one can, train, can, can do anything about this. It was just the sort of the scourge of Egypt at the time. They were trying to figure out how to treat this or, or overcome this through their own science and their own medicine. And it was the kind of thing that was, you know, still the people were terrified of. God says to Moses, I'm stronger than that. Take your hand, put it in there. You see leprosy? Now go ahead and put it back in, see what happens. And he took it out and it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Again, just be obedient. Be obedient, see my power. Be obedient, see what I can do. 
And the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they will believe the second. Show them that I'm more powerful than anything going on in the land. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. He says, okay, fine. If they don't believe the first two things, take your cup, go down to the Nile, pull out some water from the Nile, and pour it onto the ground. And you, you have to put yourself in the position of somebody in that time frame about what the Nile meant to Egypt. Okay, if you, if you were to like say, okay, what is like a certain you know, types of countries known for, right? Like you, you, there might be something we would associate specific countries with. You might say like, you ask people in the world, what is America known for? They might be like, freedom, you know? That's just my guess. French people, you know, I think of food immediately. Maybe that's just the fat kid in me. Um, sauces, you know, uh, all kinds of like, you know, the culinary center of, of everything is sort of built off of France. That's what I think about. Maybe you think about love or the Eiffel Tower or whatever. But there's like certain things that, that countries are known for, right? The thing that Egypt was known for was the Nile. All of the power and wealth of Egypt was based on the Nile. The land around Egypt was actually super infertile. The, the people of the day, they split the land that was there into two categories, the black land and the red land. Okay, the red land, you couldn't really do any farming or crops or anything on it. It wasn't going to produce anything for you. Essentially a desert, right? But the black land, every single year when the Nile would flood, it would bring with it just black uh, soil and drop it right on next to the Nile in the basin there, and then people could farm from that place. So it was the, the, the strength, the source of the power and the wealth of Egypt. And he says, if they won't listen to the two things that I've already given you, I want you to go down to the Nile and pull a cup of water out, and I want you to pour it on the ground, and I want them to see that everything that their entire community is based on can be gone tomorrow. And I'm that powerful. That's the, the message that I want you to send to them, that if they want to play this game and they don't want to respond to what I'm saying, then you go show them who is in charge and who is in control. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Of course, you would probably be very polite in this situation because there's terrifying bushes talking to you. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. That literally means I have a, if you were to like translate slow of speech and tongue to like a literal translation, it means I have a heavy mouth and a heavy tongue. I just thought that was funny. Sorry. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, and when I read this, what I see is a veiled, not a threat, but a check on Moses to say, Hey, if you want, I can make you deaf and mute. And I could, I could change your mouth. And I can make it look completely different. And I can make it do whatever it is that I want it to do. And in fact, I'll still use you no matter what it is. Do you really want that to be an a excuse that allows you to not do the things that I've called you to do? And I think we do that all the time. We look at our, our frailties, our, the places we don't add up, the places we don't have skills, and we say to God, no. When he asks us to do something, we say, no, we can't do it. Because of this, that, the other thing. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where people think they can do anything and they have no idea that they have limitations or, or issues. We have 
two of these types of people all the time. And God says, you know, to, to the people who don't have the skills, who are unqualified, who can't do it, I'll do it through you. And to the people who have pride and do it in their own power, I'll, I'll deal with you too. In this situation, he tells Moses, if you'll be obedient, I'll do the work. You think your mouth is going to be a problem? I made mouths. You think your tongue is heavy? I made tongues. If you think that you can't do it, watch me work. He says, now go. I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. I'll be the one that works through you. I'll do what I need to do with you. Sometimes being obedient is just allowing God to do the thing that he needs to do with us. It's that simple. It's us saying yes in small things and watching him do big things. It's us saying yes even when we're limited, even when we don't have the skills, even when we don't have the gifts. It's us not coming up with an excuse to not say yes. It's us being obedient through faith. But Moses said, oh, Moses, give it up, man. Just, this is time to probably stop this. Pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else. Well, at least he's honest. Because usually what happens when I ask somebody to do something for church is they say, you know, I'll pray about that. And then two days later, they send me an email explaining why they can't. What they really meant to say was, no. No, no. <laughs> Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. There's got to be somebody more qualified. There's got to be somebody more holy. There's got to be somebody who's better at what you're asking me to do than me. But God's not asking anyone else to do it. God's trying to use Moses. When we find ourselves in situations where even when it's been made clear to us that God is calling us to do something, at the very end of all of our excuses is still us saying, please send someone else. And that's if we're being honest with ourselves. The kind of obedience that God asks for to stand out from the culture around us, to make decisions that are different, to do the kind of things that he wants us to do is not common. And I think many of us would struggle with the fact that even if we would qualify to do the things that we've been asked to do, we still try and find a way out. But God will power through that. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, fine. That's, that's the New Mark International Version. What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. Out of nowhere comes Aaron. He says, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help you, both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if you, as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. He says, okay, fine. If you're still having trouble after I've shown you my power and told you what I want you to do and explained it all to you, I'll, I'll help. I'll give you a mouthpiece. I'll give you a team of people to work with here. You won't be alone. Now, God never wants us to be alone. He promised us his presence. But also, sometimes when we do things in teams, it's pretty great. In this situation, he gives Moses a teammate. And he's like, yeah, what you're saying is not totally ridiculous. Fine. I'm upset that you won't say yes to me and watch me work through you. But if this is what it's going to take, I'll provide an errand for you. And he creates a team. But he says to him, but take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs 
with it. And I think God in this moment is saying to him, when you get to a place where you find yourself not willing or able to be obedient, when your faith is shaken, when you think you don't qualify, when you come up with another reason why this isn't going to work, he's like, I want you to look at that staff and remember that I showed you my power. That I did something in your life and I showed you what I'm capable of and I've called you to be obedient in little things that lead to big things. If you start doubting when you get down there, how this is going to work, or how it's going to go, or what's going to happen, you can look at that staff and remember, I'm the God who told you to throw it on the ground and made it a snake. I'm the God who told you to pick it up and made it back into a staff. I'm the God that told you to put your hand in there and you got leprosy and then put your hand in there and I healed it. I'm capable of anything. Remember what I'm capable of. This, this is why we tell stories. This is why we share our stories you know, we did baptisms a couple weeks ago and people are standing up here and they're explaining to you the, the changes that have been made in their lives because of what God has done in their lives. Like, I can't not weep in those moments because those are the things that drive us to do what we do. When we hear God's faithfulness in other people, it's like we're looking at the staff where God has proved himself before and he will prove himself again. We can go back and say he was faithful here, he'll be faithful there. I know he showed me his power in this. I know he can show me his power in that. He basically, at the end of this conversation, is telling Moses, I'm going to continue to be with you. That if you can just find the obedience necessary, I will do the great things. And I think that's what he's calling us to do. To be obedient. To say yes. And it's not easy, guys. If we're really being obedient to God, it means that we make a lot of different choices and a lot of different We live our life in a lot of different ways. You know, one of the things that uh, I think this has proven true to me more than anything else is when I sit down with young couples uh, who are about to be married. And, you know, you might think I'm crazy for this, but I don't do a lot of weddings. I do very few of them. Uh, I don't choose to do any weddings that I don't want to do. Usually the weddings that I do are for people that I have a relationship with, that I love, that I want to support. And generally, when I do a wedding, I'm being very careful with who I'm marrying because I want to make sure that they're in a healthy place, that they've gone through some steps of doing some premarital counseling, that they've made some decisions that will support them best in their marriage moving forward. And you know, the conversation that breaks my heart every single time I sit down with a couple who walks into my office and says, hey, would you do our wedding? And I say, hey, listen, uh, here's where I'm at on this. I'm kind of intense about it. You know, if you're going to ask me to do your wedding, I'm going to ask you to do it God's way. And God's way is going to be like wildly different than anything going on in the world around you. And I can see the guy squirming in the chair as I bring this up. Very uncomfortable. What is this crazy person going to ask us to do? And then I talk to them about God's way, his way. The the way that he wants us to decide to get married and make decisions around marriage and to go for it. And, you know, when I start to lay out the case, I can see sometimes in their eyes this idea that, like, I don't want to do any of the things that you're asking me to do right now. In fact, a lot of times they're looking at me thinking, you're about to take away stuff from me. I might have to move out for a while before we get married. I might have to not be uh, sexually active until we get married. I might have to make some choices that are wildly different than the world around us. And you know the conversation always ends with, hey guys, if you're going to follow Jesus through your whole marriage, this is the easiest thing you're going to have to do. 
Just wait till you're raising kids. Wait till you, you have access to real money. Wait, wait, wait till you have influence over other people or a leader in, in your job or in your neighborhood or in your family or you're taking a role of responsibility in any of those places. Just wait. If you think making decisions to honor God in, you know, for six months before your marriage is really hard, you're going to have a hard time doing things two years into your marriage and five years into your marriage and 10 years into your marriage and 20 years into your marriage. But you know the moments that are like the most exhilarating moments as a pastor is when I, I have a couple who says, you know, we don't care what it takes. We're going to do exactly what you just laid out. We'll, we'll be obedient now. Like, there, there's almost no place in society where being uh, countercultural is more in your face than living a lifestyle that God would honor in before you during your engagement and when you get married, how you go about doing that. It sets you up for a lifetime of living counterculturally. It's small steps of obedience then that lead to huge gains of obedience later. And, you know, I still am having the same conversation with people down the road who are saying, you know, we just, we can't give to our church. We just can't find it in our finances. Or, you know, I can't come and serve in kids' ministry because I just don't have the capacity right now to be able to serve with, with children. Or, you know, hey, I, I know I should reach out to my neighbor and invite them to something, but I just can't put myself out there like that because I, I just don't know how that's going to go. Or, you know, there is that person at work. And it's like all of these things are very small decisions, but they add up to a huge change in the world around us. If all of us were living the way Jesus has called us to live counterculturally in the world, it would make a gigantic impact in the world around us. And it would be small, obedient steps by people who are faithful to Jesus, who have seen him work in the past, who know what it means to be faithful to him, who have heard stories of other people who have stood up here and talked about transformation, and yet we're still wrestling with small steps of obedience. So I'm not saying this to shame you because you didn't do something right in the past. I'm asking you to say yes to what's right in front of you right now. Moving forward, what does it look like for you to become obedient to Jesus in this world that we live in right now? What does it look like for you to become selfless? What does it look like for you to say yes and be faithful? What does it look like for you to put yourself out there and share your faith with somebody? What does it look like for you to take a look at your, at your you know, finances and say, we're going to do this? What does it look like for you to, to, to serve somewhere, even when it feels like it's been you know, not something you're exactly qualified to do? Those are the little steps of, of obedience that lead to huge gains later. That's how God begins to grow our faith. It's not through these giant leaps. I mean, it can be a giant leap. Sometimes it is a giant leap. I shouldn't say that. But often it's small stuff. So where do you need to be obedient? And honestly, I'm prodding you right now. You know exactly where God's pushing on you. You know exactly what you're saying no to. You know exactly what you're looking into God's face and saying, I don't qualify, I'm not good enough, I've got too much sin in my past, I can't do it, I'm not, you know, I'm not able to, please send somebody else. Amazing that God still loves us enough to push through our nose and to provide places for us to be obedient. You know, he doesn't ask Moses to worship at the tree and then go home and feel like he learned something great and then come back next week and be filled again. He tells them to go. 
tells him, go do it. That's the challenge. Don't come back next week looking for another, you know, truth about God that you can feel warm and fuzzy about all week and think about and ponder and go, I learned something great and I'm going to come back next week and be filled. Go and do it. I don't have to pray about whether or not this sin in my life that I need to get rid of, it, it needs to go. I don't need to pray about whether I need to say yes to Jesus about many things in my life that I'm saying no about right now. Do it. Go and do it. Because God promises that he'll be with you and that in your small acts of obedience, his power will be known. You'll build his kingdom and his reputation in this world. We're not the kind of church that's going to be excited about seeing you every week if you're not going to be obedient to the things that God calls you to. We're the kind of church that wants to celebrate every time somebody is obedient to something God is calling them to. Let's go. All right, I'm at 40 minutes. I love you guys. Let me pray for us. God, this world is messed up. All around us, we see nothing but a world completely against you, completely against what you've called us to be and who you've called us to be. You've called us to be selfless, to be obedient, to be people that shine a light into a dark place. And I pray for those small acts of obedience that you are moving in people's hearts about right now. God, that we wouldn't just go home and go, hey, that was a great message. Let's come back next week and be filled that we would be the kind of people that say yes, that drop the staff, that pick it up by the tail, that put our hand in the cloak. Would you show us what that looks like, Jesus? How to make a difference in this world, how to be obedient in small things. God, would you just let us have a couple victories in these small acts of obedience that lead us to a bigger and more sustained faith where we can see larger and crazier things happen because of your power and for your glory and to create your kingdom. God, I pray for our presence next week at that park that there will be people at that splash pad, playing on that playground, hanging out in that park, God, that we would make a difference in their lives, that we'd feed them, love them, engage with them. I pray for every person that gets invited to that this week in our lives, that they would come and hear your message, hear the gospel. Jesus, would you use us to change this world? Would you allow our small acts of obedience to add up to make your name great and to create your kingdom? Help us not to be a church that talks. Help us be a church that acts. In Jesus' name, amen.